A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Two manly, manly men talking about one sport with way too much free time on our hands. First, a look at the preseason as it stands. Second, has it ever really mattered? And third, why, regardless, we continue watching year after year. Welcome to the 4th and 5 NFL Podcast. So this is the 4th and 5 NFL podcast. I'm your loudmouth American host, Dylan Baker, with the much more soothing, productive, incisive journalist and analyst, Jonathan Harding. Each week, we take a look at all the happenings in the NFL and bring you the highlights from around the league. On and off the pitch, we'll keep you informed and entertained. So turn off your live TV with videos and people who are paid to do this sort of thing, and let's get started. John, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing good. Yeah, I'm excited that there is actually football to talk about. For weeks and almost months, really, it's felt pretty dull just talking about rosters and possible changes and you know the, the impending arrival of training camp. So I'm excited that although it's preseason and as you said, do we really care? It is back and at least we have some actual action to talk about. So I'm, I'm pumped. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's one of those things where, you know, uh, uh, unlike other sports, when once the Super Bowl is over, it's the NFL is pretty dead until it comes about preseason time. Absolutely (laughs) nothing. (laughs) All right. So folks, what we're going to do today is with three weeks left in the preseason, or at least two and a half weeks left in the preseason, some games are still left to be played this Sunday. uh, We want to preview a couple of the divisions going into, uh, you know, the regular season every day, it gets closer and closer. So we picked out a couple that we wanted to go over with you. And I think what we're going to do is we're going to start out with the AFC East. So let's start off right from the top. John, the Buffalo Bills. We've had a one and one start so far. They lost their preseason opener to Carolina, 25 to 21. Uh, and then they won, uh, this past week, uh, 11 to 10 against Cleveland. So pretty narrow victory there. And I, I, I just got a couple of questions for you, man. There's no sort of clarity with the Buffalo Bills, uh, about who the starting quarterback is. And I, I, I think what we're going to find is that this is sort of the narrative of the NFL right now. You know, EJ Manuel, he had a, Pretty fair start whenever he started getting the, uh, you know, the first team shout there towards, you know, about midway through the season. Uh, but he's been, he's been kind of failing. He failed towards the end of last season. He hasn't looked that good in preseason. Castle, uh, Matt Castle is potentially already a failure. Uh, but Tyrod Taylor, the new man coming in, uh, is he here to save the day? What do you think? 
Well, I don't know. It seems really odd for like a Ravens backup to suddenly come in and be the guy that saves your season. I mean, like that's not that's not like inspiring anyone. But when you look at the preseason performances, Tyrod Taylor has actually given a number of reasons why Bills fans should probably turn to him. He's shown a lot of poise. He's shown a lot of composure when EJ Manuel is probably the least composed quarterback in their roster. So, yeah, I don't know whether we want to really go with, is he the man to save the day? But based on preseason, he's been pretty decent and I would be tempted to give him the nod come opening week. But Rex Ryan said he wasn't going to make a decision until week one, which is probably a sensible one because he's got a couple more weeks of preseason to have a look at all his options. But, you know, when you look back at EJ Manuel and when they drafted him and they thought, oh, yeah, this guy, you know, maybe he's going to be the guy that's going to come in and save the day. You, you kind of have a window of opportunity. I always find this happens with newly drafted players. You, you have to impress it within a certain amount of time. And I don't think he's done that. Yeah, he's shown glimpses of, of quality. But, you know, if you don't take your opportunity, then you're not going to end up being rewarded. And it's funny how Tyrod Taylor has come the long way round to his opportunity, but maybe he'll end up saving the day. No, I absolutely agree. And it, it's one of those things where the way I look at it as, you know, you mentioned that it's it's odd that a Ravens backup can come in and potentially be the savior for a team like this. But really, when you're looking at EJ Manuel, who's relatively new to the league, coming out of a Florida State University sort of system that doesn't necessarily fit what the Bills are used to doing, or at least used to doing over the past decade, and then a guy like Matt Castle, who, again, was a backup once upon a time for the Patriots. You know, it, it, it's not surprising to me that a backup for the Ravens can come in and potentially save this team just by putting in a decent performance. When you look at some of the acquisitions over the course of the, of the offseason with Sammy Watkins, Percy Harvin, and a big, big pickup in running back with Sean McCoy, who got released by the Eagles, you know, this could be a good year for the Bills. Uh, you know, looking at this division, which we're, you know, we're going to go over, you know, more in detail here shortly. You know, I, do the Bills stand a chance to at least make the playoffs? Totally. I, I was going to say, you know, you talk about those pickups. There's no reason why if you take in those into consideration. Plus, if you look at the, the current state of play and at the other three teams in this division, there's no reason why the Bills can't fancy themselves to sneak into a playoff spot. The issue with the quarterback problem is this, I think. If you don't have someone who can take advantage of Percy Harvin and Sammy Watkins, then you're basically saying, OK, we're a running team because you have LeSean McCoy and he's pretty decent. We know that coming off his season with the Eagles. But you can't sort of narrow yourself down to being a running team. It's a bit like the Texans. You know, they, do, they really have any wide out options. Do they, have, do they even have a QB? Let's be honest. Yeah, they're a strictly defensive team, but they have Arian Foster, who's a great running back. And if you're the Bills and you're trying to get into the playoffs, I don't think you can be as one-dimensional as saying, OK, we just want to be a running team, which means that you do need your quarterback to step up, whoever he is, because don't draft someone, or, or not draft someone, but don't get in someone like Percy Harvin and then have someone as, as like Sammy Watkins who's developing and then let them go to waste if you're not going to end up having a QB that's going to be able to target them. Well, and you mentioned a guy like Arian Foster, and I mean, he's the kind of player where he's dynamic when he's healthy, but that's only about 35% of the time. So the, the sort of pickup for LaShawn McCoy, you know, I, I can see why you would want to keep a guy like Arian Foster on the books because he really does have potential if he can get his injury issues sorted out to be a marquee running back. But if he's not going to be that right now and the Bills, to a certain extent, have to rely predominantly on a running game until they get their, their, their pass attack sorted out. You know, you need a guy like LaShawn McCoy to step in and really take over that role. You know, speaking about quarterback problems, I know uh, another another team in the AFC East that's having an issue like that is the New York Jets. Again, narrative of the NFL right now. 
Who's going to step up uh, in, in the quarterback role now that Smith has been knocked silly and kind of can't speak? You know, Matt Flynn has a has a has a chance here, but is he a quarterback that's worth relying on, or is it is it really time to just let the guy go? I don't know. I, I'm always about fear the beard. You know, I've, I've got a thing for for Ryan Fitzpatrick. <laughs> I've always thought he had the potential. He, you know. What is it that uh, offensive coordinators always say? Has he got the tangibles? You know, I don't know. It's one of those funny situations for the Jets. They've got these three quarterbacks who nobody really knows what to make of. I mean, I don't really rate Geno Smith at all. So I think it's funny that he's still within a shout of, of being there, yet obviously helped by not being able to speak by having a broken jaw. I mean, what does that tell you? You know, he's not performing on the pitch. He's not even making friends off the pitch. So, you know, it's not winning many hearts. I can't think that many Jets fans will be too pleased about his general performance. If you're going to go with anybody, you're more tempted to go with Matt Flynn, maybe, because he has more experience than Ryan Fitzpatrick. And at the moment, the Jets do need someone to just keep a calm head and level things down. But you're talking about a team that is asking a lot. Yeah, Brandon Marshall's there. Brandon Marshall's been good in preseason. I mean, Brandon Marshall is a very good wide receiver, but he's on his own, really. I mean, Eric Decker, yeah, he was all right at the the Broncos, I think. Manning made him look better than he was but I don't know you know you're 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 sort of you're narrowing down your options if Brandon Marshall is your only wide out and Matt Flynn is your your calm and composed quarterback that doesn't say playoffs to me that doesn't say positive season to me yeah that doesn't say much in which you would you know that that's hopeful for the New York Jets of course the New York Jets haven't had really much to hope for for a really long time now. So it's not surprising that we enter yet another season of, you know, this sort of hopelessness feel to it. Uh, now, one thing I will say about Brandon Marshall is he's clearly used to crap quarterbacks coming from the Chicago Bears. Um, <laughs> you know, he, he's used to being the single guy. You know, Jay Cutler, he can do a job, but that main job is throw interceptions. So for Brandon Marshall <laughs> stepping into this sort of, uh, to this sort of role, you know, it, it, it should be at least home for him and now it's just a matter of whether or not that the quarterbacks can can you know hit him and and pay attention to him as need be there is some positive for the Jets you know let's look at the defensive side of things you you haven't exactly had a great start to the year if you're a Jets fan because Wilkerson is injured right and Sheldon Richardson is suspended he just joins a very long list of NFL players suspended long 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 list long 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 (laughs) But Leonard Williams, I actually thought was pretty good, particularly against the Falcons. And as a rookie, if a defensive end can come in for someone in who is basically, you know, let's look at Wilkerson. He's one of the best players um, on that line for the Jets. And Richardson is not far behind him. If you've got someone coming in and there's a lot of pressure on him, but he performs, then that's an encouraging sign. And on the defensive side of the ball, I'm sure you were going to talk about it. They've obviously brought Revis Island back. You know, people would say, yeah, maybe he's a little past it. I don't know. I think he's still got game. I think it's good to see him there. And I think it's an important addition to their D. But Antonio Cromartie as well. Let's not forget him. So if you have a couple of defensive playmakers, and if Leonard Williams is really able to step up, then maybe it won't be all tears and fears for the Jets this year. Well, and the goal for them has to be keep the opponents from scoring the least amount possible, which anyone who's played defense before knows that that, that that's always kind of the goal, but the Jets haven't really been all that great at it. I think the Cromartie and the Leonard Williams shout are great ones. Leonard Williams is really going to have to step up this year. Cromartie's been one of the premier corners uh, in the league for a, a good couple of years now. But with Revis, you mentioned Revis Island, and I, I just have to ask, is he still one of the top corners in the league, or has Revis Island been turned over to collections? <laughs> nice way of saying it. No, I still think he's got game. I mean, he might not be helped out by 
a defense that is not necessarily inspiring, but he has got that experience next to him in Cromartie. And you know what? If he's in a team like this, he's able to take up that position of saying, hey, I'm the best player in this team in terms of defense. You know, I'm, I'm the best player in the defense here. And that's not a bad thing for a guy as good as him with his ego. He was able to do it with the, with the Patriots because he had a, an offensive side of the ball, shall we say. But it's not going to do him any harm personally. I'm not sure he's going to get anywhere collectively, though. Well, and you mentioned the Patriots, and and especially with all the controversy uh, that's been going on, uh, you know, in the off season surrounding the Patriots, and you know, hashtag DeflateGate and all that crap. I don't want to spend too much time on that. The main guy I want to spend time on is James slash Jimmy Garoppolo. Now, Jimmy Garoppolo sounds like a minor character in one of the Godfather films, but more <laughs> importantly, he's going to be the guy that steps in for the next four games while Tom Brady's serving out his suspension. Is he fit this early? To lead a team like the Patriots through the first game? Anybody who has to step into Tom Brady's shoes for however long a period of time is going to struggle because it's really, really difficult. But that said, yeah, they beat the New Orleans Saints, I think it was yesterday, last night for me. Yeah, okay, by two points. Yeah, okay, it's preseason. Yes, yes, yes. But Jimmy, James, looked pretty decent. And, you know, that's not a bad sign. I think they should be encouraged. Yeah, he still showed a couple of, of moments where you're thinking, okay, he's still learning. We need to teach him this and that. But to come away with 28 of 33 completed and 269 yards with one touchdown and only one interception, that's not bad. Uh, and if you can play most of the game and come away with that kind of stat in a preseason, then I'd be pretty pleased. I think he's probably the right man for the current job. But the question is, how hard is it going to be for him if they don't start well? You know, it's, it's going to come down to more of how quickly can he learn and how strong is his mentality? Because all the eyes of the world, basically, are going to be on this kid. And if he doesn't perform quickly, then the demons will circle. Oh, and circle they will. We all know what New England fans uh, can be like. And it's going to be an interesting first four games for Jimmy. Uh, you know, uh, he, the very first game is they're taking on Pittsburgh. They're at home in New England. Then they travel to Buffalo away in a divisional game. Uh, then they've got Jacksonville at home, which much like always should just be a pushover. And then they have Dallas down in Dallas. You know, on the outset, what do you think Garoppolo is going to be able to do? I mean, he's got a good receiving core that, that's been built up over the past couple of years. You know, they, they have the offensive line that the New England Patriots have always had. And their defense has looked not necessarily of the days when Teddy Bruschi led the line, but they do have a stout defense indeed. If you had to call it, what's his first four games look like? I'm going to be really harsh and say one and three. I, I know that sounds really oh, wow. ballsy. I know, I know, but I just fancy Pittsburgh. I think they can upset them. I actually I fancy really like to hear that. Yeah, mm -hmm. I bet you do. <laughs> <laughs> I think the Bills have just as much a chance of doing the same thing if they can get things going. And you got to you got to bear in mind that if they can get in, in Garoppolo's face, early on, then there's no reason that the complete rhythm of the offense will be disrupted. Yes, they'll beat Jacksonville. Dallas could beat them as well. But that's my point. If it is a one and three start and Brady is then coming in after that, you're asking him to do what he always does. Yes, and recover the situation again. But that's even more pressure on a side that I think are getting a little bit older. You know, you've got to bear in mind, the way that they won the Super Bowl last year was basically unbelievable. And they were one play away from losing and from everybody saying, the New England Patriots are just too old to get it done anymore. Obviously, sport has this marvelous way of having a, a fine margins. And you land on one side of that, you're the greatest, and you land on the other side, and you're forgotten. 
and the Patriots landed on the right side and the Seahawks didn't manage to uh, win another Super Bowl, which I was obviously delighted about. But <laughs> the point is, if they don't start well, then the pressure is on and there's plenty of reasons to suggest that they won't if sides get in, in Garoppolo's face. Well, and indeed, the pressure will be on. I think regardless of how Garoppolo starts, the pressure is going to be on for Tom Brady to once again prove himself with only a 12-game regular season. And I, I've just got to ask, especially looking at you know what I could personally consider a less-than-stellar receiving core when looking at some of the other receiving cores uh, around the league. You know, you've got guys like Gronkowski, who's obviously a marquee player, uh, but with others, you know, with the lead receiver in the Patriots team being Julian Edelman, is this Patriots team, is this franchise, this this dynasty, so to speak, that we've seen since you know the early two thousands, is this in the end of an era? Yeah, I I can't help but feel that way. As you say, yeah, Gronk is great, but is, if Edelman is your go to, I mean, yeah, he's aggressive and he's he's going to get you those those ten to fifteen yards, but I'm not sure you need more options. You know, he's not a big wideout. So, <laughs> yes, you've got Gronk who's going to bustle and hustle, but you haven't really got a speedster out there. You haven't got someone who's going to – you haven't got a Calvin Johnson, for example. You haven't got anybody that we can, we can haul in those passes if you're a little bit off. Mm-hmm. And I think that Tom Brady is, is a marvelous quarterback. Obviously, I'm not, <laughs> not doubting his ability, but it is, it's coming to, to that time. He's not getting any younger, right? So – I think that, you know, Bill Belichick as well. I read some reports the other day. When is he going to retire? You've got a 38-year-old quarterback. You've got a, a coach that has won everything and has probably changed the game on so many levels. Mm-hmm. How much more have they got to give? And one or two injuries here and there, and you pretty much call in a New England Patriots coming to the end of that of that era, as you say. Well, and it, it'll be interesting to see how... How far the Patriots fall in the in the end of the Belichick Brady era? Because I think inevitably there has to be a fall. And and to round out the AFC East, we have the Miami Dolphins. We've started zero and two with these guys. Uh, they lost away to Chicago, ten to ten to twenty seven, and then they lost away once again, thirty to thirty one at Carolina. Ryan Tannehill, John, he's just in every chance he's he's gotten, he's gotten close. He shows signs of promise, but he's so far from the, the the polished product. And as long as he's been in the league, by God, he should be by now. Now, with the receiving core that he has around him, with the likes of Kenny Stills, you've got Bird, Greg Jennings, does he have enough around him in order to succeed this year? Yeah, I think he does. I think I, I think that those three, as you named it, are pretty pretty decent options. You're right about Ryan Tannehill. He's one of those really frustrating quarterbacks. Like, I first watched him and I completely discarded him. I didn't think he was really going to be up to the task and I didn't think he was going to be the quarterback to lead the Dolphins forward. Let's be honest, it's hard work being a Dolphins QB unless your name's Dan Marino, right? So (laughs) is he really going to be that guy? Everyone's going to make that comparison, whoever you are. So it's, it's really tough for him, but he is getting better. I think that's the thing that the Dolphins fans should probably take and that's what they would scream back at us. You know, they say, hold on, you might be slating him, but he is getting better. And okay, they lost you know, to the, the Panthers this week, but it was by one point and Tannehill looked pretty good. They, they were slowly getting there. He's starting to, to hum a little bit better in this offense. I think that slowly but surely he, he will get there. The question is that, is it enough for a playoff spot? I think if the Pats hit that eventual down period, as we said, and the Bills get it together, then it's between the Bills and the Dolphins for this division. Absolutely. I don't think there's, I don't think there's any way the Jets climb their way to the top, at least not this year. If I had my say in it, probably not in any sort of, you know, 
you know, soon to be future. And like I say, if, if Tannehill can finally wrap it up and, and have this be his big year, which we've saying, well, will this be his big year for about four years now? Um, <laughs> you know, it's it, it's going to come down between them and the Bills. And I think it's going to be a bit of a dogfight because like, like we talked about before, you know, there have been a lot of revamps on both teams. The Dolphins, especially the defense has been revitalized and is going to provide a heck of a lot better chance for the Dolphins to, you know, put in a good record this upcoming season. You know, some of the pickups with CJ Mosley and Cameron Wake, and now they've got Indomitian Sue. That is, I mean, yeah, they I mean, have a great a core deal. in defense. Absolutely. That's a huge deal. I mean, you don't go and spend as much money as they did on Indomitian Sue and then expect him to just be oh, another defensive player. As you say, this is a huge addition. And we've seen it in recent seasons. Defense wins championships. I don't want to sound like someone who's sitting in the NFL booth calling a game. My name is not Phil Sims. But, you know, <laughs> when you're looking at team, you have to look at the defense to see if they've really got a difference. And if Ryan Tannehill can get it together, then why not? Because this defense is huge. Now, real quick, you're not Phil Sims? No, I'm not. Dude, somebody lied to me. I thought that's what we were doing here, man. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. All right. So that rounds out the AFC East preview. So we're going to move right on along to the NFC East on our way to the NFC West here in, here in a little bit. So the team that I want to start with is probably the most interesting, wild sort of team, especially in the offseason of the 2015 calendar year. And that is, of course, the Philadelphia Eagles. Now, with all these different changes that they've made that Chip Kelly has decided to press on with, they've started out pretty impressively a 2-0 and win record here in the preseason. Now, one thing I will say is that sometimes preseason win records don't really matter. But when you go, when you see, when you see Indianapolis travel to Philadelphia and you beat them 36 to 10, and then you have Baltimore travel to Philadelphia and then you beat them 40 to 17, I personally feel like that has to be some sort of shout of credit towards Chip Kelly. He's really making the difference down there, don't you think? 40 points in a preseason game. Like, okay, yeah, you're going to have all these changes, but that's impressive. I mean, there are so many facets to the Eagles game and to their whole situation that we could probably do an entire pod talking about the Eagles. But yeah, one of my favorite stats is that they've never scored as many points in preseason or than in 2014 and 15 in the history of their of their franchise. So, I mean, like... Oh, wow. It, the Eagles have scored 27 or more points in their first two preseason games twice, 2014 and 2015. So, like, you're talking about Chip Kelly, as you said, coming in, basically just going balls out and saying, we are going to attack teams, which is not a bad idea. Okay, how are you going to do that? Well, you've got so many, so many weapons. And we've talked about LaShawn McCoy being a big addition for the Bills, which is obviously a big loss for the Eagles. How do you react to that if you're, if you're Chip Kelly? Oh, you get DeMarco Murray in, who, you know, ran up. Of phenom- course, marquee quarterback. <laughs> or excuse me, running back. Jesus, Seriously. kick me off the pod. <laughs> are you, are you, what do you, that, that's an outrageous move. Most people <laughs> lose players like LaShawn McCoy and are not able to bring in someone as, as marquee as DeMarco Murray. You, you get in Byron Maxwell in D, in D and you still haven't answered your QB situation because you take a massive gamble by trading out Nick Foles for Sam Bradford, which are one of the most baffling moves of the offseason. I really don't understand it, but still. Shocking. Uh, Absolutely shocking. Seriously, but th- it's so interesting to watch to watch what they're doing. They have a running back option, so they've got a fantastic running game. They also have few options out wide, but is it enough? The, the division they're in is the biggest problem. It's a really, really tough division. But I think if they're going to go as hard as they've gone in preseason, then there's no reason to expect them not to be around. They will be around come playoff time. 
Now, I think so, too. The main question that I have going into it is with that plethora, with that in, in you know huge pool of mediocre quarterbacks in which they have to choose from, Tim Tebow, who hasn't played a game in a year and a half, <laughs> uh, Sam Bradford, who is perpetually injured in all parts of his body, you have Mark <laughs> Sanchez, who is the laughingstock of the NFL, and then Matt Barkley, who's done nothing to prove himself in the NFL – Chip Kelly's got a ballsy little plan here because he's got he has a team built around him. He has a fantastic running game, like you said, in DeMarco Murray. He has a couple of different receiving options that could prove themselves. You know, uh, such individuals like Miles Austin. But then you've got Selleck and Ertz at the tight end position that have uh, enormous potential from that from the tight end receiving spot. And now it all comes down to the quarterback, and it's like, ah! yeah, exactly. Right? So I mean, what do you do? I'd be making the same noise if I was an Eagles fan because, yeah, okay, you know, Riley Cooper, Miles Austin, probably your only two go-tos on wideouts. I, I don't think anybody else has really stepped up yet. And, yeah, you've got some great tight ends. And, yeah, you've got a great running back. But who are you going to give the ball to? Who are you going to say, run this team, make the decisions? Tim Tebow just looked – I mean, there's – no, no, no. Okay? He, he looked – he missed so many opportunities in a preseason game. He's, he's just – I think it's a risk – it's a Chip Kelly move, yes, but I'm not sure it's one that's going to pay off. Mark Sanchez is there. What? 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 I, what is he doing? Like, really? Is he just there to be a backup? Because I'm is not. He still convinced. doing in the NFL. What's he what still, is he still doing here? Wait, why Tim is Tebow he... was gone, and Chip Kelly brings him back. It's like what? What's going on here? Yeah, literally, right? All of these situations. So you have to look at Sam Bradford as your star. You're not going to trade Nick Foles for Sam Bradford, and then say Sam Bradford isn't going to be your starter. The encouraging thing for the Eagles is. That Bradford was was pretty good in preseason, but the other thing is he got hit a couple of times and he got up. So as much as he's a body of glass and there are, there are concerns about it, if he's going to get hit and he's going to carry on, then then that's a good thing. And he had a fairly quick release as well in preseason. So those two things combined means that if he can get rid of the ball, find receivers, and stay healthy, then there's no reason why short passes, six to eight yards, and Demarco Murray, and let's not forget Darren Sproles is also in that running back core. Then you know, sure. There's there's plenty of reasons why why the Eagles can can be involved at the later stages of this season. Well, I'll tell you what. Sam Bradford may have been working on his release, but too many of those quick releases, and one of his shoulders is going to fall off. <laughs> um, now, another quarterback that I absolutely love to hate on is, is one Eli Manning, who, in my opinion, probably deserves every bit of it. He's the most frustrating quarterback in the NFL, and I say even more so than a Mark Sanchez because he starts out every season so terribly he enters mid late November and then he puts in a five or six game run somehow makes the playoffs and then all of a sudden you're looking at it and it's boom conference championship that the Giants are playing in it's just like I watched you guys and you were terrible for 10 games and now all of a sudden you're in the conference championship now in 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 a division like this you know we've already talked about the Philadelphia Eagles we're going to talk about uh the Dallas Cowboys who also stand a big chance Washington Redskins here in a little bit how important is it that Eli Manning breaks this trend of usual dross there in the beginning of the season and really comes out and 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 starts with a bang huge i mean you got this other impending problem with Eli Manning about his contract and there's been a lot of talk about whether he's going to sign and is he asking for too much money and the problem is he has two Super Bowl rings when he sits down in every conversation about money and contracts right so oh, how you don't remind me I know right how are you going to argue with that though because you, you kind of feel I mean as a Niners fan it really upsets me 
Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. That a Colin Kaepernick doesn't have a Super Bowl ring and Elon Manning has two. Now, I know that Giants fans will hate on me for that, but, you know, okay, big deal. Sorry, that's just how I see it. If he doesn't start well, then he'll probably do what he normally does. But he has to, every facet of this Giants team has to come together, you know. And yeah, they beat Jacksonville last night, but they didn't exactly convince anybody. And a lot of people said before preseason that the Giants were going to be one of these teams to watch and they were going to sneak in and Odell Beckham was going to be huge. Well, Manning and Beckham didn't really look like they were on the same page last night. And I, if, if they can't get it together, a big year on Victor Cruz as well, coming back from an injury and he's going to have a lot of weight of expectation on him to lead that call with Odell Beckham Jr. Can Beckham Jr. really step it up once more? Has he got the the mental strength to handle all the pressure and attention that's going to be on him? I'm not massively convinced with Rashid Jennings or Shane Vereen at running back. I think that they're okay options, but I wouldn't say that they're game-changing options. You've got the issue with Jason Pierre-Paul and how many fingers and does he even know how to light a firework? I don't know. Has he really got any brains in his head? <laughs> you know, there are too many problems going on in the Giants locker room and outside of the Giants locker room that I think it could be a, another disappointing season for them. And you, you look at this division, are they really going to be able to put up points and stop the Eagles? Uh, no. Well, they, and the Cowboys game pretty early on in their, in their schedule is going to be huge for them. But I'm also not sure they've got the weapons to win there. And if they can't win those divisional games, yeah, okay, the Redskins might be a win. But if they can't win the divisional games, then that's going to be a real problem for them. Well, I'll be the first to admit, beating Jacksonville, like you say, is usually just about as easy as making sure you open your eyes when you wake up in the morning. So I, <laughs> I, I hardly consider that a, a game-changing win there in the second game of the preseason. But the, the other parts of the Giants organization, because like you said, the, the, the offense is in shambles. The defense has been less than impressive. The one guy I want to talk about is not a player. I want to talk about Tom Coughlin for a minute. I'm not personally sure about Tom Coughlin, and and more so than anything, I'm not sure if Tom Coughlin's sure about Tom Coughlin anymore. <laughs> we talked about Bill Belichick someday finally turning in turning in the 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 hoodie that he wears to every game. When when is it time for a professional sports coach to call it quits? You know, the Giants have had no notable drives during the regular season, let alone into the playoffs, that are worth noting because no one wants to admit that the Giants ever make the playoffs. And their consistent trust in what I personally believe to be a subpar quarterback 
that has annoying annoying flashes of brilliance in December. I mean, it, it's it's a failing system, and one and one of these days you 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 got you got to just ask yourself, you know, is it time? And is it time for Coughlin? Well, how many times have we said going into a season that this isn't the dream season or isn't the season that Tom Coughlin would have been looking forward to, uh, despite all the hype and suddenly things happen? You've got to take into consideration the Giants have been pretty unlucky with injuries. I mean, they do have a terrible, maybe a curse on their back going into seasons about injuries and things going wrong and, and not going in their favor. But that aside... I think it's time for a change. And uh, if this season is, is something like an 8-8, eight and eight, then, yeah, there's no reason, or worse, then there's no reason to, to not take that step. Yeah, they, they hung about and they stuck with him when it looked like they shouldn't have done, and it paid off because they went and won a Super Bowl. But was that really Tom Coughlin, or was that just massive, massive, massive cake slices of luck? I'm going to go with the latter. Yeah, I would even take that one step further and say that there was probably some deity involved uh, rather than just luck alone because there's no way that that gets you to two Super Bowl rings like <laughs> the Giants have. So, again, moving on, we, we we talked about the Dallas Cowboys. Their biggest loss is going to be DeMarco Murray. How are they going to sort out their running back situation? You know, of course, they've got Tony Romo at quarterback. They've got their big names like Des Bryant and Terrence Williams out there uh, at wide receiver. They retain Jason Witten at the tight end spot. But now all of a sudden, the big gap that really was the the electricity behind the Dallas Cowboys offense is gone. Uh, now, they do bring in Darren McFadden, but we've been waiting for Darren McFadden to be a star ever since he got into the NFL and left college. Uh, but because Oakland drafted him, and we all know that Oakland is where young talent kind of goes to die a slow, ragged, painful death, <laughs> is this his chance to be the star rookie that we thought he was going to be years ago? Well, how do you come back from a slow, ragged, painful death at Oakland? It's very, not many players can do that, right? <laughs> so, no, I don't, I don't think it's going to be a, an easy year for McFadden. There will be bigger questions on the O-line. Can they open up the same holes for him as they did with Murray? Because that's basically 50% of a running back. Does he get the does he get the blocks and does he get the opportunities of the O line? So I think more attention will be on the Dallas Cowboys O line as to whether they can really deliver the same kind of performance. It's going to be difficult for them. Uh, plus, Tony Romo isn't getting any younger. Same sort of thing, and he looks more and more immobile in the pocket. The more often I see him, it's like, oh no, Tony's going to have to run. Oh, oh dear, you know. Um, oh, nope, there he goes, oh, and then he went down. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or he's going backwards. So either way, I mean, the Cowboys have, have still got weapons. They managed to get Dez tied down. And let's not forget that we're the best in the NFL at this, Tony. So, you know, <laughs> if they can keep that going, sure. But looking at their division, they'll probably be pretty happy at, at how they line up against their rivals. I think the big decision or the big outcome game to watch will be the Cowboys against the Eagles, because that will be the game that decides who will win this division probably. Now, one of the reasons that I love the NFC, NFC East so much is because it's full of quarterbacks that I absolutely love to hate on. Tony Romo is another fan favorite. In your personal opinion, which quarterback, Tony Romo or Jay Cutler, puts up top five numbers while consistently looking like a bottom five in the process better? Tony Romo. Oh, absolutely. Thank God we're on the same page there. My goodness <laughs> gracious. And it's, it, it's the, I guess the difference is, is that Jay Cutler's O-line is so bad that he gets sacked before he has the chance to make a really stupid decision, like turning tail and running backwards. Tony Romo's got a good offensive line, so when he gets scared, he's just like, ah, and then he runs. It's ridiculous. 
But at the same time, he puts up these big numbers every year. Is this going to be, again, with the loss of DeMarco Murray, is there more pressure put on Tony Romo to not look like an idiot and actually be a composed quarterback for once? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you got to ask yourself, that catch that wasn't a catch last year, was it their chance? Did they miss an opportunity to go a step further now that they've lost to Marco Murray? I mean, it's hard to come off a record-breaking season from a running back and say we're going to go one step further when you lose him. That's my biggest concern. It just puts more pressure on Roma. And yeah, he's good enough, but I don't know whether they've really got enough around all facets of the team to do it. All right, and the last team in the NFC East, the Washington Redskins, the ongoing RG3 injury saga. Uh, main question that I have here is how many injuries How many injuries is he away from absolutely just bursting into flames? One more. One more. So we're going to see flames this year. That's Pretty fantastic. much. Honestly, I'm double, excited for this more than anything. <laughs> double ACL. And if he gets hit once more, then not only um, will he be much slower, but mentally and and also there'll be enough pressure on the boardroom upstairs of the Redskins to not give him any more time it's it's hard enough to give someone time after two ACLs if you, he's going to get another serious injury whether it's a hand an arm you know whatever it is then one more and he's done I'm pretty sure yeah and if it's his legs they're just going to fall off so uh, there are so many questions on the offense is Deshaun Jackson good enough to lead the receiving core is Alfred Morris good enough to provide a supporting run game History says no. Is there any reason that this season is going to be different? I think Deshaun Jackson is good enough. Alfred Morris is is probably good enough to provide a support. Yes, not to define your offense with a running game, but he's good enough to provide a support. The problem for the Redskins is twofold. One is the quarterback situation, and two is the division. <laughs> They're not helped by the fact that they have to, to be off the Giants. Well, maybe they are helped by that, but... <laughs> the Eagles the Eagles and the Cowboys are not teams that you want to play regularly, and unfortunately they have to. Their defense isn't good. Yes, we talked about it off the, off, off the pod, but you bring in players like D'Angelo Hall and Terrence Knighton, but is it good enough to give that support? Is it good enough to, to say to the offense when they're on the, off the field, it's okay, guys, we got this. I'm not sure. And the only direction that the Redskins are really headed are a disappointing one, which is a shame. In fact... It tells you a lot, I suppose, that most of the offseason was spent talking about their name, which in itself needs to be changed, in my opinion. But if you're going to talk about Washington and their issues with their history and their name rather than what's going on on the roster, yes, the issue is, is one that deserves to be talked about. But if that's the dominating discussion, then it doesn't necessarily tell you or hint to you that it's going to be a positive season. Right, or clearly they're not making enough changes in order to in in order to leapfrog that that kind of news. Definitely yeah. agree with you on the name change, but the Washington Redskins or whatever they're going to be named here sometime soon is uh, they're in a dire state, that's for sure. And we've got some fun stuff planned for the end, so let's go ahead and fly through the NFC West, the one that I know that you want to spend time yeah. on. So I guess, suppose we will. We can do the a St. Louis Rams. Rams. We can do this real quick. <laughs> no, let's talk about the Forty Niners. Uh, we we've got. Mr. Jonathan Harding on here, resident 49ers fan. 0-1 so far. Uh, 23-10 loss to Houston at Houston's place. Uh, and we're looking at uh, facing Dallas later on in the day. Uh, now, there are locker room changes all over the place. You know, with Patrick Willis retiring, you, you're, you're losing Borland and Davis. Uh, but I think personally, I, I, I'm sure you'll agree, the biggest loss is Coach Harbaugh. 
great football coach. Great football coach. Such a sad thing, honestly. And uh, it does Absolutely. make me slightly worried about what's going on upstairs. I mean, I'm not sure Jed is really doing the right thing. I really, really like Jim Tomsula. Obviously, it seems like all of the players do as well. But it's such a shame to get rid of a player like Jim, uh, a coach like Jim Harbour. Honestly, we, you look at the record that we had under him. It was better than the last five coaches. It's something like that. Honestly, we were ridiculously good with him. And the problem with the Niners is that we have such high expectations. So every season it's like Super Bowl or nothing. But we, we've been in and around that under Harbaugh for such a, a long time that it, it seems so odd that last season we weren't even in the mix. And I, I feel like, yeah, when you get rid of a coach like Harbaugh and you make that conscious decision, you're looking at why. We, we lost so many games on absolute fine margins that it wasn't like we ever got hammered. There were like one throw decisions where Cap made a bad call or, or whatever it was. Yeah, the changes have been, have been huge. Let's not forget Justin Smith retiring is also massive for us. It's going to be a really tough year. Uh, I I really am trying to be positive. You know, Navarro Bowman's coming off his knee injury. We can be excited about that. Without Willis, it's going to be tough. I was really surprised about Borland, but the reasons behind his retirement, you've got to ask yourself if they're valid. I think they are. Maybe we sh- maybe the NFL should probably be doing a little bit more to, to prevent those kind of decisions. It's all about cap, really, when you look at the season. Can he finally start making those six to eight to ten yard throws? He worked with Kurt Warner in the offseason. That's what Kurt Warner said was the key. They worked together on making those throws. It's not about the 45-yard bombs that will win games. But I, I like the, the options we have wide out. I'm delighted that we got rid of Michael Crabtree. I thought he was hugely overrated. I really, I think Anquan Bolden is, is a man, a serious man, and we should throw him the ball lots. Torrey Smith is good. I'm excited about Quentin Patton. I think he could do some things, but I know you wanted to talk about it as well later on with the Colts or, or just mention it, but losing Frank Gore really hurts. It does hurt. It will always hurt. And I think it does strengthen the Colts. But if, if Carlos Hyde can, can make an impact and Reggie Bush can do a job, then maybe we can, we can bring, bring out something in the division. But it's going to be a tough year. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I, I guess that's my biggest thing is, you know, all eyes are on Colin Kaepernick right now. And my biggest issue with Kaepernick is that he's been so wildly inconsistent with his play. When he comes out and he's on, by God, he is on and he's playing the game of his life. And then whenever he comes out and he's not on, then he goes 15 for 30 for 125 yards and two interceptions. And yeah. that's that's the biggest issue with a guy like him is if you can get, even if it's some sort of middle ground between the two, some sort some form of consistency, the Niners are going somewhere because they do have a heck of a receiving core. I think Carlos Hyde is going to step into the Frank Gore role quite well. I think he's a really impressive running back and we'll, more on Gore later. Um, but but I, I absolutely love the, the Anquan Bolden uh, being the sort of primary possession receiver and then having a, you know, having a bomb threat like Torrey Smith, who did so well for the Ravens for three, four years, being able to play him opposite on the, you know, on the other side of the field is going to be massive going forward. One of my um, favorite things, just before we talk about the Rams and the Seahawks and the Cardinals, unfortunately, <laughs> one thing about, I have to say about, did you know that when I think it was when it was at, at the Cardinals, Anquan Bolden actually got called for offensive PI because some guy hit him so hard that he bounced off him. So like someone tried to tackle him and he, he bounced off him. So Bolden <laughs> got called for PI. This guy's hard. He's hard. And I, I'm pleased that we have someone like that. No, it, it, it's it, for me, again, as a Pittsburgh fan, uh, Anquan Bolden is a bigger, nastier Heinz Ward. And that's never a bad thing to have at, at, the, at that wide out sort of possession receiver 
uh, position. So I definitely can't say I blame you for falling in love with him. And like I say, since this is your your favorite division, we'll fly we'll fly through the rest of these uh, you know other teams slash enemies here rather quickly. Uh, the Seattle Seahawks, we do have to spend a bit of time on 0-2 in the preseason, uh, losing to Denver 22-20 to at home, and then a last-minute squeaker 13-14 to to Kansas City. Now, things haven't started well in the preseason for them, but they have made a couple of acquisitions and key contract closures uh, that have been huge for them. I know bringing in Jimmy Graham is going to be massive for a guy like Russell Wilson. Having a lot of reliability at that tight end position is going to free up space for the receivers to make their run. Uh, you know, to run their routes. I'm still in shock that he was let go by the Saints because he was such a big deal for 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 Drew Brees. But yep. Jimmy Graham, at, le- at the very least, is used to that sort of smaller quarterback and making himself open and available for a guy like that. And like I say, with the expectation continues for these guys. Uh, we talked about the Patriots earlier with the you know the at the end of an era. Is this the beginning of an era for the Seahawks? As much as you might hate to admit it. I hate to admit it, but it probably is. You look at the way you, you can't bring in someone like Jimmy Graham and say that things aren't going in an upward curve. Win one Super Bowl, make the other one and lose it. They should probably win the division again this year. They've locked down Wilson and Lynch. Their receiving core is still mightily scary, Doug Baldwin. Even a bit like Chris Matthews had a massive game in that Super Bowl. I mean, who is he? He's a nobody. But if players like that are going to step up, there are a lot of good noises coming out of Tyler Lockett's locker about his uh, the rookie in, in preseason. Uh, yeah, they have to win the division, really, based on their roster. Jimmy Graham is a scary addition. I don't like talking about it, so I'm delighted that they're 0-2 in preseason. <laughs> <laughs> Best thing to take away is, from that is that they're 0-2. Um, all right, so let's take a look at the Arizona Cardinals, also 0-2. Uh, big loss to Kansas City in the preseason first game, 34-19. to uh, And then dropping uh, to San Diego at home, 22-19 to again. Uh, if they're only able to put up 19 points for the remainder of the season, how many games are they going to win with 19 points a game? Ooh, mm, six. Six. Calling it now, folks. Six and ten for the Cardinals. Um, and, and a part of that, part of the reason that they're not getting more than 19 points is where in the heck did Larry Fitzgerald go after being touted as one of the top receivers? Was it just the fact that Kurt Warner was gone? Well, hey, Kurt Warner's great, so maybe. But, you know, let's be honest. I, I don't know. Carson Palmer was actually not that bad for a, a while. And then they had that all, awful injury luck. You know, it was so predictable in a way, but it was also such a shame that the Cardinals went from, oh, my God, you know, last season everyone was like, oh, my God, they've made such a huge start. start. And then Carson Palmer comes in, he gets injured. Then Drew Stanton comes in and he gets injured. And you're kind of like, this is just so unfortunate. But with Daryl Washington being suspended on the defensive side of the ball, Mikey Party being taken in from the Niners but now being injured it's a bit of a a bit of a concern really plus the division I mean (laughs) we keep talking about it but are they they beat us uh, last season and I was really disappointed that we didn't have enough hustle but Cardinals are one of those big question marks going into this season if Larry Fitzgerald can't keep up that same sort of connection with a QB whoever it is then they'll be in trouble defensively yes they've got some good things going on there but you know Tyron Matthews is, is is quality um he's shown that sign in preseason again but as we talked about Sean Weatherspoon is getting old Darren Washington suspended some some question marks it's, it's a question mark season for the Cardinals all right no I, I absolutely agree with you man it's uh it's one of those things where uh, they're gonna they have they have a bunch of gaps that they need to fill on the defensive side of the ball you can't just have one marquee uh, defensive back one marquee aging linebacker and a suspended uh, uh defensive lineman and expect to go far in the nfl you have to have more than that 
uh, at the core of the defense. Uh, and without Sean Weatherspoon, they don't have, they don't have much of a linebacking core. And last, probably least is the St. Louis Rams. <laughs> uh, they've, they've started 0-1-1 with an 18-3 loss to Oakland, which should be considered a crime against humanity losing to Oakland. Uh, and they're going up against Tennessee uh, later on in the day. Big acquisition, got rid of Sam Bradford, who had been such an injury-prone you know, sort of liability for them over the course of the past couple of years. Bringing in Nick Foles, I got to ask, is he a one-hit wonder after the end of last season, or does this guy really have a chance to make it in the NFL? Well, I think he's pretty aggressive. I think the Rams, Rams fans should be pretty happy, to be honest. You want a, a quarterback who's going to sort of uh, go for it. And um, if he goes for it and he pulls it off, he has a massive day. We saw that with the Eagles um, last season, and there's no reason to think he can't do that. The only problem for him is that he doesn't have much support outside of Tavon Austin. Yeah, Kenny Britt, maybe, but it's going to have to be a big year from some no names uh, for the Rams to really make a performance on offense on D we've talked about it. Everybody's talked about it. They've got so many different players, Chris Long, Robert Quinn, James Lauren Altus. There, uh, you know, there are so, so many players. If they can win games by keeping sides down on the points on the scoreboard, then maybe they'll stand a chance of giving Nick Foles a bit more of a shot in the pocket. But as you said, if you're going to lose 18 to three against the Raiders in preseason, then maybe it's all a bit too much too soon. Well, and, and one of the things that's going to help out Nick Foles uh, really make an impact there on the offense is the running game. Now, I know over the course of the past several years, one of the things that the St. Louis Rams have always had going for them, or at least for the most part have had going for them, is a solid running game. Kind of started with Steven Jackson back in the day where he was one of the marquee running backs in the league. Uh, he had, you know, up until, up until I believe this season, the Rams had Zach Stacy and he was one of the marquee running backs in the league. Young guy, loads of talent. Now they've got Trey Mason. Is, is this the next guy? Do you see that sort of potential talent out of him? Yeah, why not? I mean, let's give, let's give him the opportunity to, to try and impress, but I always feel like, any running back for the Rams who's coming in is always going to struggle because they'll always have Marshall Falk's shadow cast over them. So <laughs> it's it's a tough job. In, indeed it is. And that's a, that's a heck of a name to, to try and live up to. All right. So I think that that's what, uh, that should have us wrapped up for the, for the three divisions that we were wanting to preview. So now, like I say, we're going to have a little bit of fun here at the end. We're going to play a little game that we like to call pros and cons. Pros and uh, so, cons. Sorry. Pros and cons. So what we're There's a little bit more excitement gonna... in it. A more excitement in it. <laughs> so what we're going to do is we're going to bring uh, an argument of the week to the table every every time we have a podcast, and we're going to have a couple of times back and forth, about 15 second rounds, uh, to shout out whether we agree with the decision, don't agree with the decision, whether we agree with each other. That's probably not going to be the case in most situations. So this week, the argument of the week: why the Raiders are at least a decade from a Super Bowl win. John, I hand it to you first. Well, John Madden's not their coach anymore, so that's a big problem. And Derek Carr needs about three or four seasons to finally get his game together. And if he gets injured, then who are you looking at? Christian Pondo, Matt McGloin? I'm not pumped by these numbers and these names. So Michael Crabtree also is a wide receiver. Mm, plenty of reasons not to be excited about being a Raiders fan. Those ones just make it worse. Look at their division. Look at their team. No. Well, and to a certain extent, I'm going to have to agree with you there. The biggest thing that you have to look at is, is that with the Raiders, they so consistently fall down to the, you know, at the very beginning where they have, where they have draft picks and they're early. So they get some of the brightest young talent, but they either draft very, very poorly. You look in as far back as like a Jamarcus Russell, uh, and they don't bring in free agents that have the ability to, to really 
build a team around them. And I think that's going to be the biggest issue, especially on offense. They can't ever get something going together uh, as one as one co- cohesive unit, unless, of course, they're playing the Rams in the preseason. <laughs> yeah, obviously. All right. So the very last thing that I want to cover here on the pod is in order to kind of bring two sports together. Uh, I know you've probably heard uh, me on the Anfield Index podcast. You've probably heard Jonathan Harding on Talking Foosball on several different occasions. So what we wanted to do is... For any non-American or non-familiar to the sport sort of fans of the uh, of the NFL that want to get a little bit more used to how the how the league works and maybe some uh, you know what you might be able to relate it to, what we've decided to do is we're going to take two teams a week and we're going to compare them to uh, some of our some of our favorite or the most comparable uh, of soccer teams of foosball teams. So Thank you for John, that. I'll- <laughs> every time every time I hear the word soccer, it hurts. <laughs> Well, every single time I have to go from calling an NFL pod football to going on an Anfield Index pod and saying football, uh, it uh, uh, my heart dies a little bit. <laughs> so, uh, John, I'll hand the first one over to you. Uh, which one were you wanting to bring to the table today? I think I've got to go with the Niners first because you got to you got to stick to where the heart is. You are. So, bearing in mind 49ers, I think if you're looking at the easiest team to compare them to, it's got to be AC Milan. Back in the in the 80s and the 90s, they were both very successful. They inspired the game with uh, their style of play and their coaches. And um, now they're in a complete change and uh, everything is, is, is not what it used to be at the team. So our first soccer NFL comparison of the show is the 49ers and the AC Milan team. Sacker. We do love our sacker around here. <laughs> uh the one that I want to bring to the table is division rival Seahawks, which I'm sure, uh, you know, again, probably uh, probably hurts a little bit that we're bringing to the table today. But uh, the team that I want to compare the Seahawks to are uh, Premier League uh, current favorites who just had a, uh, a brilliant showing against Chelsea, uh, winning 3-0, which I, I think everybody that's not a Chelsea fan loved to see, uh, is Manchester City. Uh, main reason that I say that is that the Seahawks, they – don't really have any history, neither than Manchester City. You know, they, they've come into they've come into quite a bit of money, both of these teams, and they've used that money wisely, admittedly, uh, to build in this new this new to success sort of ideal that they're looking at. Uh, you know, ten years ago, the Seahawks were you know anywhere between third and fourth place, uh, bottom of the of the NFC West. Manchester City, 10, 15 years ago, wasn't even in the Premier League. But the main thing that you have to look at going forward with these two teams that they've, with that money, it's not been spent, it's not been spent unwisely. There's a very talented core on both ends. The Seahawks, as we mentioned before, you know, securing the likes of Russell Wilson and Lynch, uh, bringing in a guy like Jimmy Graham. You know, I wouldn't necessarily compare the enormous human that Jimmy Graham is to the likes of Raheem Sterling, but it's that same sort of <laughs> style. Um, of bringing in a player that's going to be that's going to be hopefully a marquee over the course of the next couple of years. And the other the other comparison I think between the two is that uh, both teams aren't really willing to add too terribly much to the roster themselves. Uh, you know, City doesn't make a whole heck of a lot of transfers anymore during the window uh, that are going to make an immediate impact on the first team. The Seahawks, their big acquisition uh, was Jimmy Graham, and from there on out, it's mainly been securing up their their talent. So the Seahawks, new to success, no history, same as Manchester City. I like it. I like it. I hope so. I hope so, John. Well, I'm not a Manchester City fan or a Seahawks fan, so it works on both levels, mate. Works on both levels. <laughs> now you can now you can hate them at the exact same time for the exact <laughs> same reason. <laughs> Boom. And that's it. 
And that's it for the first uh, for the first episode of the fourth and five NFL podcast. As I as I said before, as I'm sure you've heard, I'm your loudmouth American host, Dylan Baker. This has been Jonathan Harding, who has been brilliant once again. We will see you guys next week. See ya. Deuces. <laughs>